entering the Freedom Hut. The whispers across D.C. get louder with every passing hour that the Mueller report could drop as soon as tomorrow. Do we believe them and what would that mean? Plus, the border is now so overwhelmed that Immigration and Customs Enforcement are having to just release families. That's right, letting them right through into the interior of the United States. And also, the universal basic income, another Trojan horse towards socialism. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. No collusion. No collusion. I have no idea when it's going to be released. It's interesting that a man gets appointed by a deputy. He writes a report. Uh, You know. Never figured that one out. Man gets appointed by a deputy. He writes a report. I had the greatest electoral victory, one of them, the history of our country. Uh, Tremendous success. Uh, Tens of millions of voters. And now somebody's going to write a report uh, who never got a vote. So we'll see what the report says. Let's see if it's fair. Uh, I have no idea when it's going to be released. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me, as always. I'm here in the swamp, and ooh, it's feeling swampy. We're being told... There are whispers all over the place in the Hill newsroom, my various sources inside the federal government, that we are, you know, T-minus 48 hours from the Mueller report dropping and the Mueller probe, the special counsel ending. I do not know if it's true, though, because uh, I've been told for weeks now. That this is about to happen. And from people who would know, and they keep telling me when I ask them, hold on a second, you told me that this was going to happen. You told me that this was about to about to uh, finally wrap up. And they say, well, it was, but then they moved it back. It was, but then all of a sudden there was some reason why they could not do it anymore. It would be very, very interesting to see how the different parties here in the biggest political drama really in the world for the last two years, certainly in America, and I guess you could argue that that means in the world, um, how they react to this. And I want to know what the White House response will be because they must be chomping at the bit to, uh, to get to just crush all of the the liars and the haters and the nonsense that's out there and dragging this country through this nightmare. And for what? We've seen now so much that I think years ago, Americans would have thought impossible. We've seen an FBI that was infiltrated at the highest level by deep state partisans who wanted to override the will of the American people. We have seen the usage of FISA which when I was in the intelligence community, that was considered, you know, a a highly sensitive tool only meant for the most important national security purposes. We've seen FISA deployed against Carter Page on a fishing expedition that brought nothing. We've seen the abuse of some of the most intrusive and sensitive tools that our government has, the shredding of the Constitution in the process, All because a bunch of people who had worked for government, perhaps for too long, 
thought that Hillary Clinton really, really deserved to win and that Donald Trump was a threat to the republic because, you know, he writes some snarky tweets and he's been married three tw- three times or something. I mean, it, it's not even ever really clear. Oh, and, and they say he's crazy. He's a billionaire. He's been wildly successful and he's now president, but he's crazy. You know, I saw uh, an interview with McCabe, who is so slimy. He just reminds me of these guys that I used to work with in the CIA who were in the the internal security side. And you sit down with them and they weren't on your team, man. They were just look. They were just looking to, as we used to say in the business, just to do somebody dirty. I mean, just to break them down, ruin their career, just get a scalp because that's how they advance themselves. You know, McCabe is one of these institutionalists. You know, he's the he's the the hall monitor on steroids. The fact that that guy was FBI director, acting director for a while is is appalling. And he was sitting there talking to Bill Maher on the Bill Maher show, who for all my criticisms of Maher, I will say he at least believes in the First Amendment and liberals need to stop being babies and telling people they can't talk and they can't say anything. I give him credit for that. He's good on that and he's good on radical Islam. He's terrible on everything else, but he is good on those two issues. Uh, the but, but McCabe was sitting there and it was just such a, a, a kind of a mealy mouth pandering interview where you know, Bill Maher, who is a believer in the Russian insanity and, and you know, thinks that Donald Trump must have colluded with Russia and, and runs with all this stuff, is saying, you know, is it possible the Russians really, you know, do, do the Russians have something on him? Did they infiltrate the campaign? And McCabe, instead of saying, look, that didn't happen, keeps going, well, it's, it's possible, you know. At this stage, that's still what they're clinging to. It's possible. And when he was asked about... Hillary Clinton's emails, he just stuck with this line that no, no, no person would have brought charges against Hillary Clinton for that. I'm sorry. There was a guy who took a photo on a submarine on his phone that nobody saw and that he deleted. And he went, they sent him to prison for a year. Violation of classification protocols, right? I mean, this is, this is such bull. And that that McKay would go on TV and act like there was nothing really to the Hillary investigation and, you know, and, and, and politics didn't play a role in the decision. We're not all idiots. We've seen them. They're exposed. And that's what I really want to get to. Even if the Mueller probe goes on for another six months, we know who we're dealing with now. We know what the other side is all about. And we have to reassess. At some level, we have to adapt. Even places where we thought that being an American meant something more than just petty partisanship, right? Even, even at those institutions like the Department of Justice, where we would really like to believe it's not all about D or R, it's about America. That's a naive position now. When there's politics involved, you know that you can't trust the other side to respect the institution, the process, the law, Good faith, good will, good sense, none of it. Trump understands this. He's going to have a lot. You know he's going to have a lot to say about Mueller in particular. Play 12. I know nothing about it. I know that he's conflicted. And I know that his best friend is Comey, who's a bad cop. And I know that there are other things, obviously. You know, I had a business transaction with him uh, that I've reported many times. 
that you people don't talk about. But I had a nasty business transaction with him uh, and other things. I know that he uh, put 13 highly conflicted and, you know, very angry. I call them angry Democrats in. So, you know, I, so what it is. Now, let's see whether or not it's legit. You know better than anybody. There's no collusion. There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. There was no nothing. That's all I, I am almost certain that is all going to be proven absolutely true in the Mueller probe. I mean, I, I'm as certain as you can be without actually having the report in your hands and able to read it. And and that's that's going to be uh, certainly a moment of truth for the country, one we've been waiting for for a long time. I and mean, with the fact that we've been through this, I think about all the hours we've spent on this show going through the different iterations of you know, the Mueller investigation here and there, the people they prosecuted, you know, going after Roger Stone and Papadopoulos and and the the hatred and the just the bile that they spew at Paul Manafort, people calling him a traitor. And, you know, the guy's, uh, you know, he's a little little sleazy in his business dealings, but he's not a traitor. He didn't betray his he didn't betray his country. People who say that are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. The guy just wanted to be, you know, even richer than he was and didn't pay his taxes. It makes him a tax cheat. Doesn't make him look. I, I'll say it. Being a tax cheat doesn't make you a bad guy. It makes you a tax cheat, and we gotta enforce the law. But you know, I, I'd still have lunch with a tax cheat. I would say, oh, I, I, I can't, I can't even discuss anything with you, sir. I'm appalled to be in your very presence. They want him to die in prison. They want him to be treated like some kind of an animal. You know, in a, in a cage by himself for the rest of his days. A guy seventy years old. All this hatred, fanned by a wildly wildly irresponsible media. You know, even Ted Koppel is like, look, the major media outlets, they've gone nuts when it comes to Trump. I don't even know what to say. There's there's just Ted Koppel. Play four. I'm terribly concerned that when you talk about the New York Times these days, when you talk about the Washington Post these days, we're talking about organizations that I believe have in fact decided as organizations that Donald J. Trump is bad for the United States. Absolutely true. They are, they are, as organizations, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, they are part of the resistance to this president. They are devoted to it. They work tirelessly, effortlessly, or, well, not effortlessly, tirelessly, effortlessly would be a different thing, tirelessly toward destroying this presidency, if they could help bring down his family members and have some of them sent to prison, they would. They have no shame whatsoever in how partisan they are. And unfortunately, even though we may finally get some clarity here on the Mueller probe, and we may not, but I mean, I might be talking about this in a month. Oh, it's going to be any day now, any day. Until you know, you don't know. You know, a do and a don't. Um, but there will have to come a time when we realize that the media needs to basically be rebuilt from scratch. <laughs> that that That's going to occur. I don't know when exactly. But we will reach a point at which it's no longer possible to pretend that these people are merchants of truth. They are. I said it here on this show, and I heard it get picked up elsewhere. Not enemies of the people, but enemies of the truth. They absolutely are. And now as we reach this 
hopefully latter stage of the uh, of the Mueller probe, the Mueller investigation, y- you have to also do an accounting of how successful they've really been. And it, it pains me to say that. It makes me mad to have to say that. But think of all the legal fees, the time spent, not on messaging about the border, about health care, about growing the economy, about winning the trade dispute with China, instead of a, a media and a Republican apparatus focus on those issues, which could benefit the lives of the people in this country in real ways, we have had to say, no, the president's not a Russian traitor. No, only crazy people believe that the Russians helped them steal the election. But unfortunately, there are like tens of millions of crazy people running around. And, um, and there is a very powerful still mainstream media that was able to leverage that feeling of sore loserism among the pro-Hillary and pro-Bernie contingents and to weaponize it into a kind of mass hysteria. And that mass hysteria alone has been an anchor on the Trump administration. It has slowed it down. It has made life more difficult for Trump and for all those around him. And it's just, it's a crime for which there will never be justice. What was done to Trump is a crime for which there will never be justice. And that is uh, disappointing, to say the least. Even if this probe ends, I do not believe that there will be hell to pay for those that will be shown, people like McCabe and Comey and who knows who else, Rosenstein, shown to be political players who put themselves in the center of a food fight that they really started and then pretended to have nothing to do with and has done real damage in this country to our ability to talk to each other about politics for one. I mean, it's never been more heated right now. I mean, the the left has gone completely insane. Uh, It's very difficult to speak to anybody who is truly a, a, a Democrat, true believer about any of this stuff because a lot of them have been saying that the president's a traitor. I mean, how do you have a conversation with somebody who believes that? Where is the common ground you find with someone who walks around thinking that the president of the United States betrayed his country, sold out his country on behalf of Vladimir Putin? CNN, MSNBC, all these places where they say that. It's just madness. Is the madness going to end this week? No. But will we at least maybe end one major chapter of it? I certainly hope so. But team, I cannot make any promises. We will discuss the uh, universal basic income this hour. I meant to get to that yesterday. Andrew Yang, this kind of out of nowhere Democrat presidential hopeful, has made it one of his major uh, policy policy proposals. And and it's an in, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good idea, but it's an interesting idea, and it has a lot of different facets to it. I meant to get to it yesterday. I got so wrapped up in other topics. We didn't get to it yesterday. We will get to it. Um, and also, we've got some updates on immigration and the benefits of rejection. I, I want to give you a... Uh, I, I want to rally you to the cause of being rejected. That's coming later in the show. Stay with me. Does have a right to see the Mueller report? I don't mind. I mean, frankly, I told the House, if you want, let them see it. Again, I say... A deputy, because of the fact that the attorney general uh, didn't have the courage to do it himself, a deputy that's appointed 
appoints another man to write a report. Explain that, because my voters don't get it. Yeah, he's right. You know, we've had Andy McCarthy on the show, and he said that he doesn't even think that the, the Mueller probe was properly constituted from the beginning. It never established a crime that it was investigating. It just said, so people have a theory about something that maybe happened. Not, not a crime, though, just like a theory about Russia doing something, maybe. And let's just look around. It was a counterintelligence investigation that took on a life of its own. And counterintelligence investigations are supposed to be very clearly confined to the national security realm and not a weapon of politics. But that's what happened. So, yes, I think the Mueller report should be made public. I think the people do have a right to see. I think we should see what is in the Mueller report. And and that means at at least the sections of it that aren't going to be heavily redacted. Um, I want to see it. And I'm just going to prepare you all for this, though. No matter what, no matter what it says, no matter what is, in fact, in the Mueller report, Democrats will try to claim some form of victory. They'll be like, yes, we are the champions. You know, I did a great job. They're going to be like the kid that stands up in front of the class to recite the poem and only gets out the title and then says, the end, and sits down and smiles and thinks that they've done a great job. That will be Democrats with the Mueller report. They're, they, it, it doesn't matter what's in there. They're going to claim victory. By the way, just because we're having some fun with the Trumpster today, man, here's what he said about Kellyanne Conway's husband, which... It was a pretty, it was a pretty wow moment. Play 13. Well, I don't know him. Uh, yeah, I don't know him. Uh, he's a whack job. There's no question about it. But I really don't know him. He, uh, I think he's doing a tremendous disservice to a wonderful wife. Kellyanne is a wonderful woman. And I call him Mr. Kellyanne. Uh, the fact is that he's doing a tremendous disservice to a wife and family. She's a wonderful woman. Wonderful woman. And Trump, uh, hey, he's he's loyal to his people, even if it means he gets into a family feud. What can I tell you? Universal basic income. It's a very interesting idea. It's also a quick bridge to a much larger state and to redistribution and socialism. Democrats are putting it out there. I think it's going to get traction. Let's talk about that. And then we'll talk immigration. Stay with me. I'm proposing that we declare a dividend of $1,000 a month for every American adult starting at age 18. That's the universal basic income. <clears throat> yes. They're proposing. The universal basic income, which I rebranded the freedom dividend because it tests better with more Americans with the word freedom in it. A universal basic income is a policy where every citizen in a country gets a certain amount of money free and clear to do whatever they want. So my plan, the freedom dividend, would give every American adult $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year starting at age 18. This would create millions of jobs around the country and would allow families and individuals to help manage uh, this historic transition that we're in. I believe that every American adult at the age of 18 should get $1,000 a month free and clear from the government to do whatever they want. For working hard, right? Oh, for being a citizen of this great country. Universal basic income, folks. You're going to be hearing more about it. The cool kids call it the UBI. Not to be confused with UB40. Red, red wine. Yeah, red wine. That was terrible. I know. That's horrible. Please don't stop listening to the radio show now. That was UB40 though, right? At least I got that correct. Yeah. yeah I like I like I like uh I like my UB40. But uh UBI, 
Universal basic income has been endorsed by many on the left. It does have some interesting support on the right, which I will get to. Uh, and, and the, the basics of it are pretty straightforward. Instead of just the, the welfare state that provides services to people generally, although food stamps is really you know money for food. There are some limitations of what you can do with it. Uh, but instead of a, a voucher system or anything else, they just straight up give you money. Uh, $1,000 a month was the number that Andrew Yang, remember, he's a Democrat who is going to be on the stage, folks. He's going to make it onto the initial primary debate stage. He's got enough donations and enough support that he's someone you're going to hear from. Um, but the idea of the universal basic income is that it's just a more efficient way to create a safety net for every every person in your country and that it's far less of an onerous bureaucracy than what you usually would have uh, with a well with, with a welfare program, which is what this is. Although very quickly, the UBI, can we call it the UBI? The UBI will be considered a, an entitlement, right? That you, you earn it just by being alive is what people will think. There are, there are some uh, interesting... Oh, wait, Mike has the financial breakdown on this. Mike, come on. Tell me, what are, what are you talking about? What do you mean the financial breakdown? So according to the uh, 2018 U.S. Census, there are uh, 253.8 million citizens over 18 years old. So cost-wise, that would cost us $253.8 billion a month and over $3 trillion a year if he got what he wanted. Yeah, see, that seems pretty expensive to me. So... I think what he'd have to do would be uh, it would be means tested. So you'd have to have it uh, be a thousand dollars a month if you make under a certain amount of money. That's my guess. Uh, and they'd probably f have a phase in period. So if you make you know a certain amount, you get a five hundred, and then it. But you know Alaska has done this for those listed up in Alaska. Uh, uh, Alaska, in fact, does have. Uh, something similar to universal basic income where every resident since 1982 out of oil revenues has gotten from a few hundred to a couple thousand dollars a year, you know, just n no strings attached, just kind of handed to people. Um, the advocates of the universal basic income will point to Milton Friedman and Martin Luther King Jr., for example, as those who supported a, a basic income structure. Um, Peter Thiel, has supported it, and others who are worried about the coming automation revolution that's going to create a mass structural unemployment that's not going to that's not going to be uh, a, able to be replaced with other jobs. Essentially, AI making so many jobs obsolete that you're going to have a, a huge. No one knows what the number is, but a huge chunk of the workforce just permanently out of work, and so you'll need to give them some form of income so they can buy products and services and keep the economy going. Uh, and, you know, it, it does have some support on the left and on the right. I mean, Mike points out that if you did this for everybody, it would be insanely expensive. But even if you only did it for uh, a, a relatively small portion of the country, I mean, we, we already have a, a trillion dollar a year welfare state when you add up Medicaid, food stamps, uh, you know, child uh, health insurance program and all, all these different Section 8 housing. You got a trillion dollar a year welfare state as it is in America. We are much closer. And this is kind of a sobering thought, but I think I, I got to tell you the things even when they're sobering. Uh, we are much closer to a European style welfare state than a lot of people realize. 
Um, in some ways, we're actually further along the road than some of these European states are. I've mentioned to you that the Nordic states, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, have uh, more business-friendly regulations at the federal level in a lot of ways than we do. They had lower tax rates at the federal level for corporations, not for individuals, uh, than we have had. At least I think, I think Denmark definitely does. Don't quote me on Norway and Sweden until Trump came along and passed that corporate tax cut. Uh, but universal basic income is one of these ideas that gets us closer to a changed relationship between citizen and state and is going to get more attention, is going to get... Uh, and, and by the way, yeah, he supported... Mike is telling me that MLK supported a guaranteed minimum income. So, you know, these, these are different. The point is, people have thought about this. It's going to be a much larger piece of the Democrat debate, I think, than, than anyone's hearing right now, um, because there's a real sense that the government owes citizens a certain standard of living now, and that this is the, this is the best way to do it, would just be to give people money and when you're spending a trillion dollars a year more than you're taking in an income adding another trillion dollars a year to the national debt people start to think well at least at least now there'll be a lot of money sloshing around that'll be a good thing um but you know they they also say this is a way of really creating some kind of a a utopia and that's what you got with ocasio-cortez when she's saying there'll be more time for art and you know when ai structurally changes the employment picture in this country so that you have people that are that aren't going to get jobs ever again really that aren't really going to be able to participate in the labor force i think that's probably exaggerated um but there are certainly people now who will say that we are so productive as a society that we can have this and this is just the cost of maintaining a robust and healthy society. And essentially the very productive, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Walmarts and all these major companies, there, there's so much wealth that is created that to siphon off a portion of it to give to people as a UBI is a good idea. I, I understand it. It's easy to dismiss this and just say this is, you know, commie claptrap and it's not going anywhere. I think that this is going to get a lot of serious attention from Democrats because it's an expansion of the welfare state. And then you know what happens. It starts at a thousand. And what do you think happens after that? Oh, that's right. They're going to want it to be two thousand a month or fifteen hundred a month. And then it's just going to keep going up and up from there. Once you tell every American, whether they work or not, whether they try to work or not, no matter what age they are, I guess as long as they're an adult. Uh, once you tell them that the, the government owes them a check every month, free and clear. Then the debate becomes, how big should that check be? And the people that are reliant on that check aren't going to care about the drag on the overall economy and productivity. They aren't going to care about the change in the relationship between citizen and state. They're just going to say, I want that check to be bigger. And those people will also go and they'll vote. And they'll vote down anybody who says we need to get rid of this system. In fact, you know what they'll do? This is just like out of the Democrat playbook. They'll vote for anybody who says, let's make the UBI even bigger. This is a Trojan horse toward socialism, too, my friends. You just have to look at it through the long, long term. If they're conservative, if they're Republicans, if they're in a certain group, uh, there's discrimination and big discrimination. So something's happening with uh, those groups of folks that are running Facebook and Google and Twitter. 
and I do think we have to get to the bottom of it. He's right. He's right. And at, at the Hill where I work, Donald Trump Jr. wrote a piece that I wanted to share with you on what's going on here with big tech. It's titled Conservatives Face a Tough Fight as Big Tech Censorship Expands. And he goes into some of the details here that uh, censorship of conservatives. This is this Donald Trump Jr. piece in The Hill becomes ever more flagrant and overt. The old arguments about protecting the sanctity of the modern public square are now invalid. Our right to freely engage in public discourse through speech is under sustained attack, necessitating a vigorous defense against the major social media and Internet platforms. From shadow bans on Facebook and Twitter to demonetization of YouTube videos to pulled ads for Republican candidates at the critical junctures of election campaigns, the list of violations against the online practices and speech of conservatives is long. It's true. And finally, it is a a situation where we can expect there to at least be some honesty in the conversation. Right. Even a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, they would say, oh, there's this is a conservative myth. There's no shadow banning. There's no. Yes, there is. I know people who have been suspended. I know people have been shadow banned. And for those of you who don't engage in social media in this way and don't really care, this is all about this is all about the next generation. This is this is about controlling the narrative today to, to some degree, but even more so in five years and 10 years and brainwashing people by determining what they can see without letting them even know that editorial decisions are being made. In many ways, social media censorship is more pernicious than the bias of the big mainstream media. Because at least with the New York Times, yeah, they, they, they will skew it far left and they're not honest about what they do in that regard. And, you know, I mean, CNN will do fake news, but at least, you know, it's CNN. At least, you know, it's coming from CNN. So you, you can start from a place of, well, you know, we're going to take this with a grain of salt because we know that CNN is full of it sometimes. Right. So, so that's one component of this. Uh, but with social media censorship, you're just whatever comes into your feed is whatever comes into your feed. You know, for a lot of people who are, are not spending their days like I am just researching and going through all the different, you know, sources and news stories and, and all the rest of it, you know, you're, you're, whether you're on Facebook or for those, the small percentage of this audience, because generally speaking, uh, talk radio audience is not very active on Twitter. I'm just let you know that, um, which I'm hoping to start to change, folks. Got to get, got to get more and more of you on Twitter. Follow Buck Sexton on Twitter. Tweet at me. Say hi. Uh, but that censorship, you don't even know what's happening. So you're just assuming that whatever pops into your feed is the most the most read story, the most credible source, the most uh, you know the, the most reliable accounting of events. And when that's happening day in and day out, the the effect of the uh, the, the routinization of the propaganda is profound. It changes the way you think about things. I mean, uh, t- take this like an advertising model, you know. It, it, they don't have a Coca-Cola banner that pops up on your computer screen because they think that you're just going to buy, you're going to go right away and buy Coke. Although there's some of that direct response advertising on the internet these days for sure. But generally, I mean, they want Coca-Cola banners up on places because they want you to see Coca-Cola. And then when you see it again and again and again, the idea being when you're in a store, when you're thinking about what you're going to drink, guess what? You're going to drink Coca-Cola. Well, if 
the internet giants can just tweak the algorithms to set them up so that left-wing sources are going to get higher placement, will be treated with, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be a more revered source of information, then guess what? That's going to have an effect on what people read and how they think about these issues. And, and going, uh, going forward, it's going to alter the national conversation on the most important issues to all of us. Donald Trump Jr. goes on here in this piece in The Hill, quote, I certainly had my suspicions confirmed when Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, accidentally censored a post I made regarding the Jussie Smollett hoax, which consequently led me uh, led to me hearing from hundreds of my followers about they've been having problems seeing, liking or being able to interact with my posts. Many of them even claim that they've had to repeatedly refollow me as Instagram keeps unfollowing me on their accounts. While nothing about big tech censorship of conservatives truly surprises me anymore, it's still chilling to see the proof for yourself. If it can happen to me, the son of the president, with millions of followers on social media, just think about how bad it must be for conservatives with smaller followings and those who don't have the soapbox or media reach to push back when they're being targeted. You know, that this, this reminds me of uh, how many of us rallied around my friend Jesse Kelly when he got banned from Twitter. And how the editor-in-chief of the Daily Caller recently was kicked off of Twitter for, or suspended, for tweeting uh, the phrase, learn to code. You know, I mean, the, the, the left can, they can whine about this and say it's not happening as much as they want. It is happening to people that I know. And this is so much more important than Russian interference in the election is liberal collusion behind the scenes at the biggest social media platforms to alter uh, what people think in, in for the election and, and to change minds, to shape perception. I mean, the, the only places like Google and Facebook and Twitter are really able now because of their market share and the power of those platforms they are able to do information operations against the American people, and they're able to hide it from us very, very well. And they're wildly profitable companies, making a especially Google and Facebook, making a tremendous amount of cash, billions and billions and billions in profits every year. They are the biggest ATM machines on the planet in many ways. I mean, the only thing that rivals them are the biggest you know, oil companies. And... They're able to do all this while pretending to be platforms for free speech and fair debate and discussion. And it's it's time that we call them to account. It's time that we uh, do more to expose the truth here. You know, that the president is supposed to, uh, the, you know, this issue is getting a lot of attention. I believe tomorrow the president is going to be signing an executive order that tells college campuses that they have to institute the First Amendment. You know, we, we are in the middle of a major battle with the social media platforms, with college campus censorship, uh, a major battle for the heart and soul of the First Amendment. And, and conservatism, uh, to my surprise at some level, but it certainly makes me happy, conservatism is rallying here and seems to be rising to the challenge somewhat. Because if they can control the conversation, we will lose the debate. If they can control the parameters and the platforms, we're done before we even start. So that's why it's important that we fight on this.
When it comes to buying wine, most people's selections have nothing to do with taste. You know, they usually just base decisions on which bottle looks the coolest or what's on sale. Thankfully, now there's First Leaf, the wine club that makes it easy to discover new wines that you'll love. First Leaf has created a club experience that I'm a part of now, by the way. It's customized to you. By rating the wines that you receive like I have, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes, and then it has a custom algorithm and a professionally trained wine concierge team that will only send you the wine that you love. So if you're like me, if you like drinking wine, but you're not a wine snob, you don't know a lot about wine, and you want to just get different recommendations of delicious and very well-priced stuff and sent right to you, and you learn about it, you learn what you like, try First Leaf. Sign up with my link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. That's six bottles of wine, only $29.95. Tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. It wasn't until the Ninth Circuit decided, once again the Ninth Circuit, in contrast to every other circuit in the country, they decided to reinterpret the law to say, no, if they get released from a prisoner or a jail and ICE closes and finds them, that they're, they're required a bond hearing, where if they would have got straight out of jail and in our custody, they wouldn't have got a bond hearing. The Ninth Circuit overturned, you know, they, they, they put it on his head. Supreme Court said, no, we're going to go back the way it, sh it should be and supposed to be. This isn't just for every criminal alien out there. This is, there's a, there's a specified type of criminal alien, aggravated felonies. We're talking about people convicted of serious crimes like rape, murder, armed robbery, sexual assault. These people shouldn't be free walking our communities anyways. Number one, they're in the country illegally, and number two, they're a public safety threat. Where the Ninth Circuit ruled on this, we gotta put this in context now. Who's in the Ninth Circuit? California, Oregon, the state of Washington, all heavy sanctuary states. These are, these are states where criminal aliens are released out to the public, criminals, public safety threats, rather than turning them over to ICE. So this decision was devastating in these states and made it much more dangerous, not only for our communities, but for ICE officers who could have got custody in a jail, but now because of sanctuary city policies, they have to go locate these people in their community, in their homes, on their turf, where they have access to who knows what weapons. This is a huge win for the men and win of ice it keeps them a little safer there's tom Holman weighing in on what i told you about yesterday supreme court saying no no rule of law still matters when it comes to immigration you don't get to just rewrite it ninth circuit court of appeals because you prefer a different outcome that's not how the law is supposed to work uh so it's a win as i said and as tom says and i always like to check in with tom when i see him over at at fox news we exchange thoughts on immigration and um, i'm looking forward to getting a whole lot of uh, time on the ground in El Paso next week. I'm going to be right there in, in the midst of all of this uh, craziness at the border um, because while we did get a victory from the Supreme Court in terms of immigration enforcement and rule of law, the system is overwhelmed and it's about to burst. It's, it's just in a free fall right now. This is from the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, the Trump administration plans to start pulling back on a controversial plank of U.S. immigration policy in a busy border region, saying Tuesday it will stop sending some migrant families who illegally cross the border in Texas's Rio Grande Valley to jail. Uh, Rio Grande? Do we say Rio Grande? Yeah, Rio Grande. My bad. The Rio Grande? Which one is it? Anybody? Bueller? Brandon? Do you... Mike, what do we say? Do we say we say Rio Grande, way. right? Because this is America, the Rio Grande, it's like St. Louis or St. Louis. Yeah, I don't know. 
I'm sure that everyone in Texas who's listening to this is like, fuck, you're such a city slicker. Get get it together. Well, I'll know next week because I'll be down there in the valley of the Grand River. Anyway, starting this week, hundreds of families caught each day in that area are being released by Border Patrol agents instead of being handed over to Immigration and Customs Enforcement for potentially longer detention. The exact numbers will depend on how many there is room for in ICE detention facilities, which have filled up uh, as a record volume of families are crossing the border. Officials said they're making the change because of crowding and safety concerns. End quote. Guys, this is overwhelming the system. That is what is going on here. That is explicitly and clearly what is happening. They are overwhelming the system. This is intentional. Uh, this is a, a strategy. They know that they're, because the word gets out. I mean, look, I'm, I'm reading it out of a, one of the biggest newspapers in the country. The word is out. It travels very fast online. And, you know, you have these different, uh, not, not just within the migrant groups themselves, but you have different communities of activists and uh, legal aid teams that th- all they want to do is find ways to make sure that illegal aliens can stay in America uh, forever. And, and anyone who shows up who's an illegal will stay as long as, as, as uh, he or she wants to. That, that is their purpose. And Border Patrol is, is at a point now where they're just saying, look, we, we can't uh, continue to even hold them on a short-term basis down in, in Texas because we don't have the facilities for them. We just don't, we're, we're, not, we're not able to do it. Uh, they, they have clearly overwhelmed the system and, you know, I, I've been saying this was going to happen. I mean, it's been in the process of happening. Now, here we are, where it could not be any more obvious that the system is at, is at a breaking point. And do Democrats have anything? Do they have any solutions for this? No, because they're on board for this. They are in favor of the current situation. In fact, here, here's uh, Kirsten Gillibrand just giving it away that the, the plan here, the Democrat plan, and this is the plan to destroy the Republican Party because we'll never be able to compete in another election if they get their way with this. The Democrat plan is to legalize and then, and then um, register for benefits and then register to vote all of the illegals in the country. This is, this is Kirsten Gillibrand when she's not lifting... Her eight-pound weights with a with a T-shirt on. Do you see that today? She was trying to do the whole "I'm hip, look at me do social media." Uh, here's what she says about illegal immigration. Play clip one. So what will I do? I have a lot of ideas. First, we need comprehensive immigration reform. If you are in this yeah. country now, Woo! you must have the right to pay, to pay into Social Security, to pay your taxes, to pay into the local school system, and to have a pathway to citizenship. That must happen. This is one of the most oft-repeated lies of the amnesty crowd. They say, "Well, we, we just want to we just want to make them legal because then they'll pay into all these programs, right?" Then, the, no, no, no. That's not what's going to overwhelmingly illegal immigrants would owe nothing in federal income taxes if they were here legally. They don't make enough money. They might pay some, you know, some taxes along the way, but they they would be 
net beneficiaries. In, in fact, one of the uh, problems that came up with the Gang of Eight bill for amnesty, remember Marco Rubio and those other senators back in the Obama administration, was that they wanted retroactive tax filing and illegals under that, under that system would have been getting a check. They'd be getting a check from the government for missing out on some of the largesse from Uncle Sam that comes to you if you make uh, under a certain amount of money. That they could be, that's right, they could be getting, they would be getting paid for having been illegals here by the government. We have a $22 trillion national debt, all right? That's from the Americans that are already here from a system that we have, the spending that we've done, mostly entitlement spending, some war spending too, $22 trillion. You think bringing in more people who are much more likely as a percentage uh, of the general population to be reliant upon welfare benefits, uh, about 50%. I mean, and by the way, the people who say that illegal immigrants don't get welfare, they're all, they just, it's so hard. There's so many lies. Yes, they do. All there has to be is one per, if If there's a household headed uh, by, run by an illegal immigrant, but there's one child that is born in the States who's a citizen then, uh, everybody else in the household is going to benefit from the be- from the uh, welfare payments to that uh, to that child as a, as, a, as a citizen child in this country. Uh, so and 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 they the adult in charge of them gets to apply for it. And there, there's a whole system. It's just scam after scam after scam, and then all the lies around it. But with the system overwhelmed the way that it is. Uh, the Democrats have no incentive to try to change anything. In fact, I think a fourth, uh, a fourth illegal alien uh, in custody just passed away, just died. And you know what that's going to turn into. Um, that's going to turn into a rallying cry for people who are, are upset at how Immigrations and Customs Enforcement uh, handles those that are in their custody. They're going to say, oh, it's terrible. You know, remember, you had former senior government officials like Mike Hayden, used to be my boss, the CIA, comparing our Border Patrol and Immigrations and Customs Enforcement agents to Nazis. And remember, abolish ICE. That was just last summer. So now that you've had another person die, they're, they're showing up in mass. Our, our system is not meant to handle this. They know that. And they're showing up in these very large numbers specifically because they know that they can't be processed, but because they can't be processed, then they also can't necessarily be given entirely adequate medical screening and medical care right away because it's not the Red Cross on the border, it's Border Patrol. But we're going to be told, oh, they're so nasty and they're terrible and how could they do this and all, and all this other stuff. Um, yeah, that's what they're going to say. And it's just going to be an emotional argument bereft of reason. Don't you just love it when you find a $100 bill inside a jacket you haven't used for ages? It's an incredible feeling, right? You find hundreds of dollars maybe sitting in a cabinet or in boxes or in your attic, you know? That could come from the old 401k paperwork you have from that job before the last one. You know, you forgot about it, right? But that money is sitting there in that 401k gathering financial dust. It could be doing a lot more for you in a precious metals IRA. My friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify and they'll do all the heavy lifting for you. Could make you a lot and cost you nothing. So please give Noble Gold a call. 
by going to 877-646-5347 or text my name buck to 511-511 and receive their free investor's guide. Plus, for all qualified IRAs above $20,000, they'll include a complimentary rare graded Morgan Silver Dollar valued at $150. So please text BUCK, B-U-C-K, to 511-511 or call 877-646-5347. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard text rates may apply. There will be some who will say that this all stems from climate change. But the truth is that the water challenges have been around for generations and are causing immediate deaths annually. Areas of the world have struggled with water availability for centuries, and these struggles are due to access, geography, infrastructure, and technology, or lack thereof. That's EPA Chief uh, Wheeler, Andrew Wheeler, who has said, and this is, of course, getting the environmentalists completely freaked out, said today in a, in a testimony that water quality around the world is a much bigger crisis than climate change. And this comes when we're all supposed to be so focused on the Green New Deal, right? The big Trojan horse for socialism. Uh, The Green New Deal has people talking about changing out all fossil fuels and dramatically shifting how we do things with with our economy. Meanwhile, there are other issues. and, And, you know, right now, uh, you, you have, for example, the, the flooding in the Midwest, terrible flooding. And, you know, to our friends out in uh, KFAB in, in, uh, in Omaha, thoughts and prayers to everybody out in the state of Nebraska. We hope you all are doing all right and they're getting you all the assistance that you need and that the waters are are receding. Um, but people are saying that that's climate change and it's just not true. There, there have been floods for, you know, look at the Bible, folks, right? There have been floods for as long as people have been writing in books. And longer, actually. So, you know, flooding is just a natural, uh, it's a natural disaster in some cases, but it's a natural cycle that occurs in different parts of the world, always has, always will. And this impulse to point to every bad thing that happens on an environmental level and try to blame climate climate change for it is just not rooted in logic, reason, or facts. Uh, this This is an emotional an emotional impulse. It is driven by the desire that people have to feel like they are part of a group that understands this problem and is taking the proper action on it. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the truth is also that while we're so focused on things like the Green New Deal, there are much more important things out there that, you know, environmentalists could be looking at, that the EPA could be working on. Play 17. As the administrator of the US EPA, I believe that water issues are the largest and most immediate environmental and public health issue affecting the world right now. By water issues, I mean primarily clean and safe drinking water, marine litter, and water infrastructure. It's absolutely true. A thousand children a day die worldwide because of unsafe drinking water a thousand kids a day are dying a lot of them are dying from uh you know just just bacteria that's very easy to eliminate in a drinking water system but they don't have they don't have access to it and they don't have access to the antibiotics to treat the infections uh, you know typhus and uh, or, uh and cholera and you know, all these different things the, all these waterborne illnesses that you can get um he said that most of the threats from climate change are 50 to 75 years out. He's right. 
Yeah, well, will there maybe be some additional climate disruptions in 50 to 75 years? Yeah, I think that's that sounds it's not going to be the end of the world. It's, it, and I mean, this it is literally not going to be the end of the world, uh, which some people think it is. But, you know, this is why for all the virtue signaling of the climate change obsessed left, there's a cost to that lunacy. There, there, there are costs to their insanity, as in you don't have unlimited resources, unlimited time and energy to approach all different kinds of problems. You know, it's, it's not like you just say, oh, well, there's there's plenty to go around for, in terms of the with the EPA and the, and the, the problems that they can tackle. No, the focus on climate change, the way that it has consumed a place like the EPA and all the court fights and all. You know, that takes away from imminent, very real problems about things like drinking water here in this country. You know, what happened in Flint, Michigan is terrible. It is terrible that people were being uh, effectively poisoned by their drinking water in an American city, you know, in in our current era. Uh, there, I've, I've read whole, a whole study, an in-depth study of how the projects... And I, I know we're uh, we're down uh, we're on uh, WRNO in New Orleans, um, but you know the New Orleans uh, some of the New Orleans housing projects have terrible lead contamination problems, you know, and, and those have long lasting ramifications for kids who are drinking that in their water, and you know it's it's bad for the it's bad for the kids it's bad for the kids kids, and that's happening in this country, you know. I I, I think one place where conservatives can make a lot of headway is to say you know. Can you stop with your, oh, climate change causes forest fires and all this other nonsense? Because there's there's a real need for conservation. There's a real need for clean drinking water. I mean, I, I'm all for clean air, clean water. You know, I do not want pollution. I just don't buy into this catastrophist vision of the world coming to an end because of CO2, which is a tiny percentage of atmospheric gas to begin with, and is a naturally occurring and, and necessary gas. It's not like we're just, it's not like we're creating CO2 and there was no CO2 before. Um, but it, it, the, the virtue signaling is not without its own cost. And I think that's the, the biggest single takeaway here. You know, if, if liberals were serious about dealing with environmental issues that impact people right now, today, and if they wanted to save lives, if they wanted to improve lives, they would back up a guy like Wheeler at the EPA who's saying that clean drinking water is the biggest single crisis because people are dying from not having clean drinking water all over the world. And they're getting very sick. And over the long term, you could say some, some are dying in this country um, because of that issue. And, and, you know, this is really one of, one of the marks of, of civilization as I see them. The marks of civilization that you can always you always know what kind of country you're dealing with based on two things. You know, you know, one of them, I always tell you, how does a country deal with its trash? And then also, can you drink the water? If if a a nation state has clean streets for the most part, I mean, every place has, you know, trash dumps here and there. And but but if, if a nation state deals well with its refuse and you can drink the water out of the tap. You're you're in an, you're in an advanced country. I mean, it's, it's it's foolproof basically. I mean, you're in a sophisticated, well-off and well-ordered nation state. If there's trash everywhere and you can't drink the water, you got problems. 
you got problems. And given the technology that exists and the global wealth that's out there, uh, there should be fewer and fewer countries that have filth all over the streets and filthy water that little kids are drinking. But we're not making as much progress on this as we can. Notice how the, the EPA director is getting slammed by the left for this because they think it takes away from the much more important threat of climate change, which they're delusional. I mean, they're crazy, but that's the problem with dealing with crazy people. It's hard to reason with them. I wouldn't uh, entertain that. The only reason is uh, that they're doing that is they want to try and catch up. So if they can't catch up through the ballot box by winning an election, they want to try doing it in a different way. Now, we would have no interest in that whatsoever. It'll never happen. It won't happen. I guarantee you, it won't happen for six years. I think that it's I'm open to the discussion. I mean, there's no question that um, the popular vote has been diminished in terms of making the final decision about who's the president of the United States. And we need to deal with that. Um, so I'm open to the discussion. That is where the Democrats are right now. Open to a discussion about kicking at the load bearing walls of our governmental system just to sort of see what happens. And, you know, we've we talked about this a little yesterday. I, I've been thinking more about it for the last 24 hours because it really is so brazen what they're doing. It's so obvious that this is yet another uh, attempt at a power grab. But it's not it's not likely at all to happen. So why else do they do it? Well, because here's the real message of Democrats going out there saying we need to change this system. We need to change these different points in the system where we have not gotten our way. It's that it's illegitimate when they don't get their way. And, and they reinforce this at every turn, that the left believes that when the government does not deliver to them what they want, it cannot be a function of the failure of their arguments. It cannot be that maybe they were wrong. It has to be a systemic failure from within the system itself. Uh, it has to be a, a shortcoming of the process, right? The institutions that they rely on need to be reformed so that they can get what they want. But it really all does go back to this point of illegitimacy as well. They, they, they simply do not accept that outcomes, that government outcomes that they disagree with are something that they should have to live with. You know, it, it's never we lost. Them. They never take the L. It's never we take that loss. We're going to regroup and the next time around we'll do better. It's we need to find a way to make sure that we have nothing but W's on our on our scoreboard, even if we have to cheat, even if we have to pay off the refs. And that has been pretty, pretty open. Um, and, and I think it's also only possible because not only do they think that the, the system outcomes that they disagree with are inherently illegitimate, they also think that Donald Trump is an entirely illegitimate president. And, and that all ties in as well. You know, that the system that presented them with Donald Trump as the winner of the election has to be corrupt, must be reformed. And you know, then you you look at the Supreme Court, it's the same thing. I mean, Dersh, the Dersh, we should have him on, on radio. And I've had him on Rising many times, and I never think to say, hey, Professor Dersh, do you want to come on radio? Although when he does Rising, sometimes he shows up, he Skypes from his office at Harvard, and sometimes he, he shows up and he's all like, rah, 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 like, you know, I gotta put my jacket on. He's I don't have much time here, and he's very, you know, he's curmudgeonly. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, he's curmudgeonly. 
But other times he's like, well, let's let's have a conversation about the Constitution and uh, rule of law in this country. Like he's really engaged. So I never know which Dersh I'm going to get. And uh, when I get the latter one, sometimes I'm like, hey, why don't you come on my radio show? Everyone who does Rising who's not a complete communist uh, wants to come on my radio show. So uh, that that's a pretty easy thing to do. Although I'll be, I'm I'm a little. Uh, What's the word? I'm a little selfish with your time, team. I, I don't I don't like to share the team's time very much, as you've noticed. I know there are a lot of radio hosts when I, I talk to people that say, how many how many guests do you have on a day? I say, I'm one, maybe or two some days. But I like to have it. Some days we have, you know, we'll have four guests on because we just feel like having a wide ranging conversation with a bunch of folks. And a lot of other days, no guests. I don't need guests. I have so much to talk to you about. There's so much going on in the world. So I'm just I'm just a different a different cat in that sense. Um, but the Dersh, speaking of a, a different dude, the Dersh, this is what he said about Supreme Court tampering that the Democrats are more than flirting with. I mean, they're they're really trying to push this idea. Play five. Well, it's a terrible idea, and it just increases the politicization of our highest court. The highest court is supposed to be a neutral, objective, nonpartisan institution. As the Chief Justice has said, there are no Republican justices or Democratic justices. That's really a wish rather than a reality. Uh, we, the American people, have to demand that both parties leave politics out of the Supreme Court. So I think it would probably be a good thing to have only nine justices. Every idea seems worse than previous ideas and worse than the status quo. We may in the end have to just struggle to maintain the current law because fixing it may produce more problems than the problems that currently exist. He's just straight up saying it. The, uh, the plan to pack the Supreme Court is a terrible idea and everybody should understand it's a terrible idea and that they would even, uh, they would even float this out there just shows you, I mean, there, there's a recklessness right now at the heart of the Democratic Party. There's a recklessness. There's a sense that whatever they have to say and do in the moment, they'll do. And nothing is, you know, outside of, nothing's outside the, the realm of, of possibility, whether it's uh, completely reforming critical parts of our constitutional order or changing up the Supreme Court who can vote in elections, felons, 16-year-olds, foreigners. Oh, just give it time. They're going to want illegals. They're going to want illegals voting, folks. I mean, they're going to try to say that they should legalize them first. But if, if liberals had their way, I mean, this would be a fascinating poll if you could do it right. You know, what percentage of liberals believe that if it could be, if it could be made legal tomorrow, illegal aliens should be allowed to vote in federal elections? A majority of Democrats, I'm telling you, would say yes. And I think, a str- I think 70 to 80% of them would say yes. I think a strong they would their claim would be they're they're just people, too. They're in our country. They should have a say in governance. It's the same argument that they make at the local level about these uh, these uh, town councils or city councils, places like San Francisco, school board elections, where they're already saying pretty openly that uh, they think that illegals should vote. I mean, and they've tried to pass legislation to that effect. One thing we got to keep in mind here is also the economy. I just wanted to get the uh, you know what we don't have yeah we now we don't have time for that right now. See, I, I I'm running around with too much stuff. We'll have to save because here's here's my theory, which I'll dive in. Let me let me use this as a teaser moment, which we'll dive into tomorrow. My theory is that if the economy is strong, Trump wins in 2020, no question. If the economy is shaky, 
it could be close. If the economy hits a rough patch, I think you're going to see the rise of socialism in this country. I really do. You're going to see someone who is a socialist, perhaps in all but name, and maybe with Bernie Sanders in name as well as the next president of the United States. So we have to look at the, the cyclical nature of where the economy is right now and, and what the debt means for us. And But maybe we'll do a little more of that. But that's the outlier that I think could determine everything. So put a put a pin in that one, team. We will come back to that on the morrow. Stay tuned. I'm very unhappy that he didn't repeal and replace Obamacare, as you know. He campaigned on repealing and replacing Obamacare for years. And then he got to a vote and he said, thumbs down. And our country would have saved a trillion dollars and we would have had great health care. So he campaigned. He told us hours before that he was going to repeal and replace. And then for some reason, I think I understand the reason, he ended up going thumbs up. And frankly, had we even known that, I think we would have gotten a vote because we could have gotten somebody else. So I think that's disgraceful. Uh, plus, there are other things. I was never a fan of John McCain, and I never will be. How pathetic that 50 Republican senators have said nothing about this incredibly disgraceful performance by the president about John McCain, about their longtime colleague, John McCain. They are all such unbelievable cowards because they're afraid of Republican primaries. Yeah, we don't need to take advice about how to keep our own house clean for the Republicans here and, and how to tidy up ourselves from Jeffrey Tubin over at CNN. Uh, we, we got it. Thanks, buddy. We, 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 don't, we don't need your help. We don't need your help at all. I, I, I find this whole... There's a couple of, of big stories today that aren't big stories at all, but the media is making them into much bigger things. And one of them is this, is this uh, ongoing feud with uh, John McCain and President Trump. Now, of course, John McCain's passed away. And, uh, and full disclosure, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a friend and, uh, uh, and somebody who re respects his, his daughter. But I'm speaking about John McCain now in his professional and uh, le legislative capacity and in terms of his record and the ongoing... A situation with President Trump where what I see happening here is that Democrats love their favorite thing about John McCain is to use him and his own uh, disputes with the Republican Party as a club to bludgeon other Republicans with. Uh, and there's this this sense of of a, of a forced homage that you always have to pay to John McCain as a Republican and, and Democrats like to just wield that as a weapon against against individuals. You know, are you are you, you know, saying that his service was not as honorable? No, of course not. I mean, but, you know, I, I will note and to the, the, the veterans here listening, I'd be very curious to know what their opinions are of this John McCain situation. But you know, there are a lot there are a lot of people that serve very honorably in Vietnam. You know, we have a lot of Vietnam vets who put their lives on the line, who took bullets, who were wounded. You know, and obviously over 50,000 didn't even come home. Are, are they all for the rest of their professional lives in if they're in public life? Are they all beyond reproach for whatever they do? You know, I, I do think there's a disingenuousness with Democrats where they, you know, they know that John McCain was look, he, he was an unreliable, uh, unreliable partner with conservatism. There's no question about it. And, and, and turned his back on conservatism and the right at key points. I mean, McCain-Feingold was a terrible law that he co-sponsored. Terrible law. And, and then at the last minute to abandon his fellow Republicans on the issue of the Obamacare repeal. I mean, I, I, I think that that was, that was personal spite 
in place of national level politics and responsibility to the people of Arizona and to the people of the United States more broadly. I think that John McCain wanted to wanted to take a slap at President Trump and he was successful. But at what cost to how many millions of people that were affected by that health care decision? You know, as, as people now will sit in waiting rooms, wondering if they'll be able to afford the visit, wondering if they'll be able to get into the waiting room in time, wondering if they'll be able to afford their medication. I mean, all the different problems, all the different shortcomings of our system of medicine in this country. I'm not saying there would have been some cure-all with the skinny repeal bill. It wasn't perfect what they were trying to do, but it certainly would have been better. And McCain stood in the way of that. And I think that he did that for personal reasons. And I think that we're absolutely allowed to disagree with him on that. And, and I don't like this, uh, this forced worship of anyone on policy matters, on matters, you know, b- because, of their, uh, because of their previous service to the country. I, you know, look, I, I'm not trying to say that John McCain was a strong man, but you look at a lot of strong men around the globe and a lot of dictators and, you know, they served in their militaries, right? I mean, you know, you, just because you serve in the military doesn't mean you cannot be criticized on policy matters or what you do after you're in the military and look democrats know this they're just they're just playing they're 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 just playing cynical politics with this by trying to turn trump and mccain you know mccain posthumously um uh against him now that all said do i think that trump should take the take the bait with this and and say all this stuff about mccain no i think it's a waste um I also think, and this was the other story today that, and look, you can tell I'm not a fan of McCain in the, in the legislative uh, side of things at all. I, I do not think that as a senator, he made a lot of good choices. And I think that his Senate campaign, I mean, his uh, presidential campaign was a disaster for the Republican Party that led to eight years of Obama. So I, I do not think that um, he uh, that his professional life should be beyond reproach at all. I don't think that Trump should get into this, you know, mudslinging. It, it just doesn't really matter. But look, I, Trump is who he is, and he's he's going to punch back, and he's not going to take any guff. And f- in case you didn't know this, he hasn't liked John McCain for like the last twenty years. I mean, he's never liked this guy. Some people just don't like each other. You may even pick up from listening to the show enough that there are some individuals in media that I, I just don't like them, and they don't like me. We just don't like each other, you know. And, and there's not even necessarily a great reason for it. You know, people, you know. People are like animals, you know, and animals sometimes in the wild will kind of, you know, kind of smell each other and decide, ah, eh, we're going to fight this. We're going to fight to the death. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, sometimes the two tigers just walk past each other silently in the jungle. Sometimes they fight until one of them bleeds out and the other one slowly bleeds out. You know, I mean, that's that's just the that's just nature, babe. I mean, that's just the way that it is. Uh, and, and with people with massive egos, which, I mean, John McCain had a huge ego. I mean, make no mistake about it. Is it as big as Trump's? Probably not. And can you argue, of course, you know, whose ego is more earned? I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Um, but this is this is what the Democrats love to hold up John McCain, because they know that when Republicans uh, when Republicans say, hold on a second, but McC- but McCain didn't do this or that that would have helped us or McCain was a problem here. They go, oh, are you disrespecting his military? See, Republicans don't really support the military. Well, we all know that if you had to pick, if you have to pick one political party in this country that is truly and honestly supportive of the military, it's going to be the Republicans. It's not going to be the code pink, far left, 
we're a bunch of imperialists and, you know, we bomb civilians indiscriminately for no reason all the time. Democrats. All right. It's going to be the Republicans that are the party that supports the military. And uh, although whenever whenever you say something like this, you'll get the, the left has a few people in the media that that you know, served in, in combat roles. And their whole job is to run around and bash anybody who points out that, you know, that there, there is a there is a a uh, majority of support in the military for the Republican Party. I mean, it's just it's just it's just true. Um and then you got this other thing, which I don't even know if it's worth it. You know what? I'll just uh, just a few seconds on this. This whole Kellyanne Conway, George Conway, Trump nonsense. What did what did Trump say about uh, I, I, the the tweet is pretty is pretty funny. I, w- I want to see if I can if I can pull this one up for you. Um, it says, uh, hold on a second. This is from earlier this morning. Uh, George Conway, often referred to as Mr. Kellyanne Conway by no, by those who know him, is very jealous of his wife's success and angry that with her help didn't give that I with her help didn't give him the job he so desperately wanted. I barely know him, but just take a look. A stone cold loser and a husband from hell. You know, I, again, I, I don't really see what the point is here other than they're trying to, you know, agi- they know they poke the president. He's going to slap back. People keep saying it's so mean that Trump would say this. Why is it okay for George Conway to undermine his wife publicly like this by attacking her boss? Does it? The media never seems to ask that question. It's always just Trump is intruding on their relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we we get the game that they're playing, folks. And you know what? We don't like it. Probably familiar with AARP, right? They got a big office here in D.C. I pass it in the swamp, and uh, a lot of people are members. Yeah, yeah. Guess what? AARP is a seniors organization that pushes a lot of left-wing progressive causes. That's why I recommend AMAC. AMAC is the conservative alternative to the AARP. So if you're a senior, please join my friends at AMAC. They are pushing for policies that you agree with, and they're making sure that you're part of an organization that's going to get you great value, including discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, even cell phone service options. So there's all kinds of benefits. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but you know, the cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better. Better for you, better for America. I wouldn't uh, entertain that. The only reason is uh, that they're doing that is they want to try and catch up. So if they can't catch up through the ballot box by winning an election, they want to try doing it in a different way. Now, we would have no interest in that whatsoever. It'll never happen. It won't happen. I guarantee you it won't happen for six years. Libs lose. And they want to change the rules. That seems to be a widespread phenomenon among the uh, Democrat would-be uh, would-be presidential hopeful types. So, what does that tell us about their respect for institutions? Also, what's going on with the Mueller probe? Pretty much everything. It's kind of a kitchen sink segment we got planned for you here with my man Sean Davis, who is co-founder of The Federalist, also fierce in his Twitter game. Doesn't let the libs get away with the nonsense. Sean Davis, great to have you back, sir. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So do do liberals not understand why we have an electoral college? I mean, is it how much of this is driven by ignorance versus how much of this is just the cynicism of we need to we need to rig the game so we can win next time? I mean, I, I really mean that. Do, do you think that Ocasio-Cortez understands why the electoral college exists, for example? 
No, I think she's probably trying to get her parents to uh, to bribe the Electoral College with like a half a million dollar uh, donation so she can get admitted to it. I hear it's very selective. <laughs> no, so, I, I think uh, left-wingers care about power. That's all they care about. They don't care about the historical tradition, about the very involved and deeply thought-through debates that the founders had when they established our system of government. They only care about power and their experience uh, with history while they've been alive You know, for the last 20 years or so is that electoral college bad because Republicans win sometimes with it, so they've decided – that needs to go. We need to get rid of it. We need New York and California picking all the winners, and the stupid rubes in flyover country can just deal with it. Like totalitarians, all they care about is the end result, which is accumulating more power. Yep. It's almost like Sean was listening to the radio show yesterday because that's my take on this too, man. They'll, they'll rig the game however they can and feel righteous in doing so, whether it's lowering the voting age to 16, eliminating the electoral college, Packing the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, Sean, if I had told people a, a few years ago that the Democrat platform going into 2020 would be annihilate the whole system and remake it in our own statist image, they would say, Buck, you're being too harsh. Come on. Don't be that guy. But that's actually what's happening. I mean, they've gone so far left that they're about to topple over. It is. Well, and, and recall that this is a party that has written into its formal official platform. Uh, the repeal of the First Amendment, because they don't like that Citizens United gives people the ability to band together in groups and pool their money and run ads against politicians they don't like. Um, so you've got a party that is, that is hostile to the, the foundational amendment of the American ideal, which is the ability to speak and vote and assemble and worship how you want. They want to get rid of that. We all know they'd nuke uh, the, the Second Amendment, maybe even literally, if they could. Now they want to get rid of the way um, that we've uh, elected presidents in this country for the entirety of their history. But I can promise you that if for some reason Donald Trump were to lose the Electoral College in 2020, but win the popular vote, they will immediately switch their their rationale to only oh, no, the electoral college is the greatest thing uh, since ever. In all of 1984, we have always been at war with East Asia. They will turn on a dime and pretend they never had the, the positions that they previously held. Yeah, they, they are fond of doing that. I've seen them do it in, in many cases. You know, Sean, I think that there is an eerie calm right now, at least in D.C., it, it, for those of us who are either around politicos or journos, there's a sense of any minute now, the Mueller probe is going to come out. Uh, do you have expectations for this thing at this point? Are you in, I, I mean, I, I, we're all in wait and see mode because we don't know, but I'm very convinced that the, the plan from the, from the Democrats, from CNN and the Washington Post is when this report comes out and there's just nothing in it to justify the two years of, of insanity we've been through, they're just going to be like, well, OK, let's get Trump's tax returns. It's, they're going to act like nothing's happened. Right. I, I think you're correct, although I, I'm very skeptical that this thing will be wrapping up anytime soon. And I, I've heard all the same rumors. I've read all the same reports. You know, the report is in, imminent. It's shutting down. Based on what I've seen from this investigation so far, which is, uh, you know, rolling up uh, people's lawyers, searching through their stuff, attacking Republicans and putting them in prison for things that we know the Democrats 
involved in the same thing did, but they're not being charged. I don't have any faith that this Mueller thing is going to stop until Trump is out of office. That's my personal view. I'm sticking with it until they, they prove otherwise, because I've, I've grown rather tired of this constant drumbeat in the media that, oh, it's wrapping up and the report's about to come out. I'll believe it when I see it, and until then, I don't have any interest in it. You know, I, I was on I was on that train with you until very recently because I I've heard now I'm hearing from people that are that are well I've heard from people in the DOJ, but but they've also told me yeah, but it keeps getting they they, they tell me it's going to be the next couple of weeks, and a couple of weeks pass, and they say well it keeps getting pushed back. And I'm like, well, if it's going to keep getting pushed back every two weeks for the next 52 weeks, that means it's not going to end this year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've I, I was with you in that and that until about three months ago, I was saying, I think, including here on the show, that my expectation was that this would drag all the way through until just before the 2020 election. Um, we'll, we'll see if these rumors now are, are true or, or not. Um, but I, I got to tell you, man, at, at this point. I think that there's going to have to be some kind of a reckoning for people who, at, at a minimum, have uh, been saying that the president of the United States committed treason. I mean, the, the things that were said on CNN, particularly you know, around a year ago, uh, are some of the craziest things I've ever heard said about, a, about anybody, never mind a president, on national television. And I just I don't want to let that go, man. I don't want to let them get away with it. Oh, I'm, I'm with you, but I've got some bad news. And the bad news is that there will be no reckoning. Because yeah. uh, half of this country is so bought into this narrative, they're so, they're so delusional, they are not going to let it go. It, we're back to, uh, you know, circa 2004, 2005, Bush lied, people died. Okay, this has become such an article of faith among the left to explain why St. Hillary uh, lost that they cannot let it go because to let it go would mean that, you know what, people actually did want Donald Trump and he won it fair and square and Hillary was actually a really crappy candidate. They, they cannot accept that, so they will cling to this fiction regardless of what the actual facts show us. What Of the candidates right now, who do you think is who, – who, who gives you a little bit of a maybe this person is going to put up a, a, a worthy fight against Trump? Any of them? A few of them? Uh, I, I think Biden or Sanders. Um, I, I think Sanders is an especially dangerous opponent from a political perspective because he has a very similar message to Trump, which is that the game is rigged, you're getting screwed, people are getting rich off of you, and I'm going to come in and fix the problem. Now, they come at it from very different places with different policy prescriptions to fix that, but they have the same message that's targeted kind of to the same disaffected uh, blue-collar Midwestern worker. And so while I think Bernie is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, I think his brand and his message uh, eats into Trump's base in a way that nobody else's really does. And on the Beto phenomenon, do you think it's he the real deal from the perspective of he could he could go all the way, or you think this is a flash in the pants? I mean, he did raise that six million, which everyone keeps talking about. Yeah, no, I'm completely bored by Robert Francis O'Rourke. So, yeah, everyone's talking about this big fundraising haul he did. Well, he spent the last two years fundraising. So when I saw those numbers, I didn't think, wow, this means O'Rourke is a great candidate. I thought, oh, wow, he, he spent like $100 million building up a pretty good direct mail list. So, no, I, I personally think he's a flash in the pan. He's, he's completely unimpressive and vapid. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't think Trump was going to be the nominee and I didn't think he was going to be president. So what do I know? Yeah, it's very hard to, to, for anyone to make predictions that uh, they can put a lot of, of oomph behind, considering how many people that I know who think that they are 
very savvy on political matters. And, and turns out they are uh, they were quite wrong on the Trump phenomenon. I, look, I, I didn't see the Trump phenomenon coming. But then again, in retrospect, that the, the idea that, that Ted Cruz was going to save the republic, maybe that was a little overdone, too. <laughs> so I think some we people. Have... What, what bugs me about coverage now is is uh, most people in the punditry business were wrong uh, about 2016. And what separates them is whether they learned something from being wrong. And what I learned is, you know what, I'm not so great at this prognostication game. I'm going to be a lot more humble in kind of how I look at it. Unfortunately, CNN and The Post and The New York Times and others have taken the exact opposite approach, which is they're often wrong, but they're never in doubt. Sean Davis, everybody of The Federalist, go check out what he's up to and all the rest of the folks over there. Among my very favoritist of all sites, The Federalist, you should check it out at thefederalist.com. Also follow Sean Davis on Twitter for his erudite but also sick burns. Sean, thanks so much, man. Great to have you. Thanks, Buck. We'll be right back, team. Attention all business owners, all HR folks out there, human resources people, you probably have somebody that does background checks for you, or you're going to need somebody to do background checks for you if you don't already, right? That's why I want to tell you about Global Verification Network. They're the only dual certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. I am personal friends with the CEO, Mark Buckman. He's a, he's a veteran himself. And he understands how important it is to get this right when it comes to background checks every time. Do it efficiently and to make sure that he has a program that fits your business, large or small. So for your background checks, wherever you are across the country, just give a call to my friends at Global Verification Network. 877-695-1179-877-695-1179. Please tell me you heard about it on the Buck Sexton Show so they know your team, Buck. You can also go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Get rejected a lot. That's my advice to anyone out there who is willing to hear it. Get rejected a lot. Um, learn to take no. Learn to take you're not good enough. Learn to take nobody wants you or we don't want you or you're not wanted here. And learn to take it in a way where you grow stronger as a result of that rejection. There's a piece today in, in uh, NBC News that looks at rejection from an evolutionary bio biology standpoint. Uh, the very basic version of their scientific thesis is that rejection, the feeling of rejection causes a physiological response that in some ways mimics uh, what you get in the pain centers of the body. So I mean, reject when people say rejection hurts, it actually does hurt. Uh, it actually does create a feeling, feelings of uh, not just unease, but un unwellness. And, and it can create pain in the gut. It can create uh, a, a real sense of, uh, of something terrible having happened, right? And uh, what we're experiencing now in society is because of all of our connectivity and the constant sorting and resorting and the so-called meritocracy that we strive for in some parts of life, we have so many more opportunities now to get rejected than ever before. Uh, rejected when we reach out to somebody for a job. Rejected when we reach out to somebody uh, electronically for, you know, for a date, for a drink. Uh, when we apply to college, when we just, you name it. There's so many ways. Whereas it used to be that if you were rejected by your peer group, this is the evolutionary biology part of it, uh, you might starve to death. Uh, because if people didn't trust you and didn't want to be around you and you didn't have the cooperative 
hunting going on, you were in a lot of trouble. Now you're just getting re- now. Now it's all psychological. You're bombarded with it. And so this this piece tries to lay out a bunch of ways that you can deal with the pain response in the brain from rejection. And it says things like, you know, ask if it really matters. Remember, rejection often isn't personal. Choose to assume the best rather than the worst and get back out there. I I, I don't really like the way that they try to set this up because I'm I'm a fan at this point in my life of rejection because, you know, what rejection really means it means you tried means you're in the fight means that as long as you're not being a you know a lunatic right i mean i'm not suggesting well ask her out for coffee and then ask her out a hundred more times because rejection feels so darn good but whether it's applying for a job applying for college trying to better yourself and and also even the self-rejection that you can engage in sometimes you know the the idea that you you will undermine yourself when you try to go you know restart working out at the gym or or you want to learn a new language and you know, you're going to you're you're automatically not going to want to do things you're not good at. And, and there's re- there are reasons for that. You know, we all want to do things that we're good at. Like, do I want to make scrambled eggs? Yes, because my scrambled eggs are amazing. But do I want to try and learn Chinese starting tomorrow? Probably not because it's going to be hard. I'm not going to be good at it. But learning to em- learning when to embrace that and when to view it as almost like the tears in your muscles when you're working out. That's what rejection is. It hurts, but it can really make you stronger. And, and I don't believe, by the way, with, with the people who say with Nietzsche, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's actually not true. You know, if you're, if you're in, a, in a terrible car accident and, you know, you lose usage of, of two limbs, you're not actually stronger even though you've survived. So, you know, I, I don't think that that's a fair way to view these things, but rejection is something that in, in modern society we all have to uh, embrace in our own way and, and learn to get past. And I think it's important. I think it's important for kids to learn. Um, I'm a better person because I was rejected from my early decision college choice, uh, which I, I don't know if I've ever said on the show before, not that I care, but it was Princeton University. Uh, they technically deferred me, then rejected me, but I was rejected by, by Princeton, the first school that I wanted to go to and applied to. Um, that was a good thing. It made me think more about who I was and and how 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 good of a student am I? But do I really want to go there? Did I just want the name? Was this all just a branding exercise for me? And it also allows you to understand other people who have dealt with getting rejected. I mean, I, I was rejected from the first school I applied for. I was rejected from, gosh, I can't even tell you how many different jobs I applied for. Technically, the CIA was the first job I applied for, and I got it. But while I was waiting... In case I got some amazing offer, I applied for all kinds of jobs. Rejected, rejected, rejected. I was rejected by the first girl I ever asked, asked out. It wasn't really on a date. It was kind of for like, you know, burger and a Coke. Uh, but it was in the eighth grade and we were at a dance. And I asked her if she, if she would go out with me, which meant, do you want to go meet up after school and get a burger and a Coke? She said no, straight up, shot down. That's right. Buck got shot down. And... You know, when when someone uh, breaks up with you, when someone doesn't take your application for that job and decide to give you the offer, these all are important experiences because life is a series of getting over rejections, really, because you don't need to be taught. No one needs to be taught, really, how to deal with success. I mean, people say, oh, I'm so rich and it's hard to handle. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like in, in normal circumstances, you, you know how to deal with joy. You know how to deal with things going the way you want them to. But the better you can get at rejection. I remember I got rejected 
my first day of high school, I tried to sit at a table with, uh, and, and I remember thinking like, well, like I've seen enough after school specials. Like it's our first day. It's his first day. It's my first day. He must want to have company. So I'm going to go sit next to him. Guess what? I, tr- I said, can I sit here? He was all by himself. This big kid who later on we did become friends. He said, no, you're not allowed to sit there. You are not welcome to sit there. First day of high school. I had no friends in my class. I didn't know anybody. And the first person that I asked to sit with at lunch told me no. <laughs> so get rejected. Get out there. Whatever it is that you're doing, don't be afraid. I mean, don't try to be rejected, but never shy away from it. Don't be afraid of it. And understand that every person that you know who is at the top of his or her field, who leads the kind of life that you would want to emulate, has dealt with massive amounts over their lifetime all added up together of rejection and all of its different varieties so uh you know view it like the soreness you get from from working out or you know view it like the 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 fatigue you feel after you've run 10 miles yeah your body's breaking down your body doesn't really like that but it gets stronger and and i and that's one of the most important things i also see for for young people in the everybody gets a trophy generation, which are millennials, not the gray beard millennials like me, we're hardcore, but the younger millennials, they all think that success is measured by never failing. If you've never failed, you're not trying hard enough. If you've never failed, you're not taking enough risks. And evolutionary biology aside, you can learn to deal with rejection of all kinds as long as you know that you've approached your task with honor uh, and, and with dignity. So I, I'm a fan of rejection. That's really just what I want to tell you. I, I think you have to just look it in the eye and say, you know, the check is in the mail. We'll be right back. I have some very important breaking news to share with all of you, but I want to pose it as a question to my colleagues here. Uh, Brandon, we'll start with you, although is producer Mike around or is he, is he socializing? Is I'm it, here, is, man. Is, I'm always here. Hey, hey, look at him. Look at him. It's not producer Mike's social hour after all, buddy. Well, um, it is, but, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, you can manage the show. Plus, I'm just a little bitter that everyone listening to the show apparently calls in just to talk to you now because, uh, you know, everyone wants to hang out with Mike. I got the best job, man. I sit here, I'm drinking a smoothie, and I get to listen to you and, you know, chime yeah, in every once in a while. It is an amazing, it is an amazing gig. <laughs> I, I would have to agree. So let's, let's, just, uh, let's just get this question out of the way. Um, Brandon, start with you. What is the, according to the American Kennel Club, it's very important stuff, what is the most popular dog breed not including mixed breeds uh dog breed of 2018 uh golden retriever anything like that very good guess all right but not correct what about you producer mike you um, have a dog. I mean, your dog yeah. though is one of these designer frou frou fancy dogs. I know Cash is going <laughs> to yeah. bite me for saying that, but yeah, he don't bite. He'll bark at you though. There you go. <laughs> I would say hmm I would have gone Goldie. I would have said what Brandon said, but since he did it, I'll go. You got, it's very close. It's, it's German Shepherd. Tw- no, no, uh, that's that's that, not a bad one. For the twenty eighth year in a row, it is the Labrador Retriever. Labs mm. are the most popular pure uh, bred dog in the country for almost almost three decades going now. Uh, the other top ten breeds were pretty much the same. And I'm trying to see what we have here. They, they say that the uh, German short-haired pointer uh, rate was went up. I don't even know what a German short-haired pointer is. I just feel like it's very bossy. Like, I'm German and I'm pointing. And the Yorkshire Terrier fell out of the top 10. 
uh, that or, or or switch ranks with a German short-haired. But you know, the other ones were the German Shepherd. This is the top ten dogs by popularity in America. The German Shepherd, Golden Retriever, French Bulldog, Standard Bulldog, Beagle, Poodle, Rottweiler, German Short-haired Pointer, and Yorkshire Terrier. And that's based on the registration of a million dogs and litters each year. Uh, I, that's look. That's a really solid list, by the way. No, those a lot of my favorite dogs are on that list. You guys said golden retriever, by the way. That's the number three. So you guys were right, right in the uh, in the in the hunt there. French bulldogs. That's what my parents has. I want a standard bulldog really badly, but I got to tell you guys something kind of funny. You know, my my uh, my wonderful co-host on Rising has gotten a a Bernice mountain dog which i don't know if you're familiar with that but it is a it is a like a horse i mean it is a they're very big i think they're they're classified as giant dogs i mean they're the size of like a great dane or and it's only a puppy that's about seven or eight months old i think at this point or six or seven months old but uh, crystal has three kids who are you know two years old five years old and ten years old or something along those lines and, you know, they've got this sweet and, and Bernice Mountain Dogs are beautiful dogs. I mean, they look like something out of a storybook. They're so cute. They're, you know, they look like something out of, you know, Alice in Wonderland or Peter Pan. Although I know Peter Pan's actually a St. Bernard, but same idea. They're kind of St. Bernard-like. But this dog, it's trying to be sweet, but it runs around and it just lays the kid out, the kids out apparently all the time. Because it, it jumps up with its big paws and, and knocks them down. And this is where I get into the fierce the fierce debate with some of my fellow dog lovers out there who are just like a small dog's not a real dog i'm like i'm sorry a dog is a dog they are all canines and it's a lot for a lot of like how big is your dog mike what is it 10 pounds 15 pounds yeah 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 yeah, exactly right in between there you know i mean if your dog gets a little gets a little lippy with you you know if it gets a little uh you know if if his attitude needs improvement you can just pick him up (laughs) exactly you know you know, my, my my older brother has an adorable dog that he rescued. So no one's allowed to say anything bad about rescue dogs because they rescued it from like an alleyway in Texas. Uh, but it's a Pomeranian and he he wears a little diaper around the house. <laughs> That's little, hilarious. I actually saw him in a pet diaper. store recently. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. People now people now it's, it's increasingly common for the smaller dogs that, you know, you still need to walk them and they still need that. But, you know, just in case they walk around with a little, little, little diaper on. And uh, they go, and I know so many people listening to this show are like, I have a Rhodesian Ridgeback and a German Shepherd and a, you know, they would never look. I love big dogs too. Don't I like, I love all dogs except maybe poodles. I just, I can't, I know. And the the poodle owners out there get so mad at me, but I just, something about them. I I feel like they're judging me. Uh, But when you get a smaller dog, it's easier. I mean, Mike, you probably take yours on the subway with you. Do you get one of those little carrying cases for it? Uh, I have a bag uh, just so I can sneak him into my office here. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully nobody's listening. But um, it, it, that, you're totally right. It's way easier to carry around, especially living when you live in a big city. I take him pretty, try to take him everywhere I go. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's way easier. That's where my, my, my dream dog is an English bulldog because. Just big enough that we can wrestle a little bit, yeah. But 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 slow enough and fat enough that, like me, he's just going to want to chill out on the couch and not move. And you know, we're just going to be buds. So yeah, that, that's my plan. That's one day. my but struggle right now is getting my dog to be as lazy as me. The struggle is real, my man. Yeah. Speaking of the struggle, you guys know what time it is next? Roll call time. It's coming up. Well, team, we've got a busy couple of weeks in the Freedom Hut planned. 
Next week, I will be down in El Paso, Texas, visiting with members of Border Patrol and also Immigration and Customs Enforcement. We'll be uh, getting together some interviews, bringing you ground truth about what's really happening down there. And this will be right before the numbers of inadmissible crossings are released for the month. And they were projected last month for this month to break 100,000, which would put us on pace for a million for the year, if that continued, which would put us at an all-time, in all-time record territory for inadmissible and illegal crossings at our southern border. So I think it's important to get down there and really see and, and speak to the folks on the front lines. That'll be next Thursday and Friday. Uh, I will be doing the show from El Paso next Thursday. Friday, I might, because of travel timing, I might have to have a sub. But as you know, if we have a sub, it'll be a fantastic one. And then for the following Monday, Tuesday, uh, I will be on in Savannah. And I also am thinking I will probably be down in Richmond, Virginia soon as well. So I've got all all kinds of things going on which doesn't affect the show i just like to tell you that i'm traveling around places so you don't think that i'm just stuck here in the swamp and not getting to live uh live life a little bit more and with that it is time for our roll call emily writes hey buck i heard you mention the other day that we should give twitter a try Although I am technically a millennial, this was a form of social media I just preferred not to deal with. However, I signed up today. I was blown away by the list of suggested people to follow. It was basically a list of left-wing politicians. Hillary Clinton was the third suggestion. The president wasn't even on the list. The amazing thing is that when I selected my interests, I did not even include politics. It was supposed to be health and wellness. Wow. I even took a little video of the computer screen to prove their complete bias. Anyway, I love your show and appreciate you keeping it real for those who are paying attention. Not all millennials need help tying their shoes. Shields high, Emily. Well, thank you so much, Emily. And and I appreciate that you are willing to give uh, Twitter a shot because I said it's an important medium these days. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that you have a lot of uh, left wing suggestions that pop up right away in your feed. That's that's more or less what I would what I would expect in those kinds of circumstances because twitter is a left-leaning medium it just is the people who run it are leftists the people who overwhelmingly uh, use it are are often leftists i mean the, the the left has made a very deep burrow into the heart of the twitterocracy martin writes Mueller was supposed to find russian collusion and found nothing with trump it looks like there was plenty of evidence of Russian collusion with Hillary and the DNC that was ignored and later covered up by Mueller. Isn't that considered obstruction by a bad cop? Well, Martin, I certainly agree with you that Mueller didn't find Russian collusion. As to whether we will hear anything about the obstruction that was, well, no, I mean, you're essentially saying that the Russia collusion with Hillary, the DNC was ignored and covered up by Mueller. You know, I don't think that we have a, a legal case really to make there because it falls in the 
in the very broad area of the discretion of the bureaucrats involved. So if they're allowed to do something, you know, keep in mind, whatever a cop stops you, the cop can basically say, oh, you were going 120 miles an hour. You know what? You look like you're having a rough day, so I'm not going to I'm not going to give you a ticket or arrest you. Police generally can't be disciplined for that, I mean, at least as far as I know. Uh, I, I know that they have a lot of discretion. And, and I know for a fact that prosecutors can say, you know, what, we're just not going to bring this case. We're not going to bring these charges. And even if it's really unjust for them to not bring charges, there really isn't any disciplinary mechanism in place that would come back to bite them. But thanks for writing in, Martin. Keith writes, and he sent me a photo of a whole bunch of cats, and it's a catnip den. Huh. Interesting. I'm pretty sure I was listening to uh, the Joe Rogan show with Alex Jones, which was a very... I, I rarely have the time to listen to anyone else's shows these days, uh, but that one I, I had to check it out. And I'm sure I think there was a discussion about like cat ladies, old ladies and like, you know, diseases of the brain from the cats and and, and they really got into it. So that's the thing that happened. Valerie, right. Still trying to catch up on the podcast on Monday. Richard made a comment on what is well read. Why not start a Freedom Hut book club? Each month you would suggest a different book. You could have a history, fiction, economics and world affairs rotation um well valerie you know i like to think that this radio show in a sense is a is a book club because it's a uh, i constantly am telling you about books that either i have read or want to read that have been highly recommended to me occasionally i'll tell you about a book that that stinks you know i'm reading this lost city of the monkey god right now i've got a few books in rotation but i i'm reading the lost city of the monkey god and uh it's I, I just can't get that excited about archaeology. I don't know. Some people really, you know, when you don't have Indiana Jones and a bullwhip and, you know, gunfights and fistfights on top of trains and stuff, a lot of archaeology is, oh, this very important, this, this stunning discovery of the large earth mound. Was it used for burial or other ceremonial purposes 500 years ago? I'm not saying it's not interesting at all. I'm obviously reading the book, but, you know. And I'm, not, I'm not loving it. I'm not loving it. And there's a little too much of the guy who writes the book like, there's so many dangerous snakes everywhere. I'm like, look, dude, as long as you're not getting koala chlamydia, you know, you're going to be OK. All right. You can handle the fer de lance, which is a form of a, a type of pit viper. Um, that's right. Koala chlamydia. You got to be careful, folks. It's out there from their puddles of little koala urine. So it's an important safety tip for those of you wandering down to Australia sometime. Uh, let's see. But if you're looking for a, a great book recommendation, you know, I, I recently read Endurance about the Shackleton voyage. And I, had, I knew the story. It was one of these things where I knew the story really well. But, man, that book is incredible. And I recommended it to my dad. My dad loved it. Uh, so I really, really recommend if you're looking for something that's just going to be a kind of a fun read that's timeless, uh, Ernest Shackleton's Voyage. The, the title of the book is Endurance. I forget the author's name, but it's it's a great it's a great fun and historically accurate read. Tommy, uh, Tommy writes, Buck, take a look at that and tell me that media hype isn't driving something that will ultimately be a problem for a lot of children. Uh, he's writing to me about transgender activists talking to kids. Yeah, I mean, I think this is brainwashing for our kids. I think it's really bad. I'm very concerned about it. I, I wish the left would 
stop being so crazy when it comes to it's, I mean, it's one thing to promote transgenderism in different ways for adults. It's another thing to promote uh, transgenderism to little kids. No one out there, there is not a single medical professional who can really tell you what the long term effects of gender transition uh, hormones at, for a teenager would be because it's such a new practice. So it's, it's not actually really feasible for anyone to say, well, in 20 years, you'll actually be happy you did this or you won't have a whole slew of severe health risk. And they, they have no idea. Uh, they're politicizing not just science, but in this case, they're politicizing medicine which is is always uh, really damaging and 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 it's upsetting because people are going to suffer terrible consequences as a result of it uh key and, and little kids may be suffering consequences too keith writes the standard belt color system for martial arts is white yellow gold orange green green blue purple brown red and black wow that's a lot of belts Music at the beginning of the show, I believe you referred to it as dubstep. I searched for 30 minutes and found a different, found a bunch of different versions. Can you give me the info on the version you played? I assume it's a dubstep style and has been, for, been performed by many artists. Thanks in advance. Keith, Keith, the music that we play is uh, licensed music because we don't, we don't want to pay for, you know, it, it would be fun. Like if, if I could just pick a song that we would start out this show with, I don't know, it might be, you know, In Living Color cult of personality or something i mean that guitar riff something like that that'd be fun but but that would cost i don't know it would cost the show a half a million a million dollars something like that so instead we have licensed music uh which can be good it can be good but it's produced by these companies that make licensed music so the answer is my friend you've got to just go to if you get a a um music licensing Access, then you can find things like that. But it's not a real song that you can download or buy off of iTunes. But I like it, too. It's actually good dubstep. So I'm glad you agree with me. Johan writes, Buck, count me as one more that agrees with you regarding athletic scholarships. Uh, colleges for academics and sports should be an activity for a break from studies. Have the teams, but the players should come from the student body that is there to get an education. Let football start a minor league like baseball and recruit those out of high school that don't want to sit in classrooms anymore. Now, Johan, I totally agree. I also think you look at athletic careers for people that really are going to go pro, and a lot of them would be well served to go pro and either do part-time school off, you know, off-season or to go to school full time in you know their late twenties, early thirties. There's it, it just we need to rethink this paradigm that the NCAA is effectively a giant minor league sports franchise that uses college campuses as its incubators. It's it's just not it's just not the way that it should be. And I know people get very angry at me on this one, but I'm also right. So it's fun to be right because I'm right. Team, honor and privilege to have had you with me here in the hut. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, beware of angry koalas. And until tomorrow, shields high.